Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Good. I'm Katie. I am Austin's wife, and I'm going to be opening up God's Word with you all this morning. I'm super excited. So uh, like Austin said, we're going to continue in our Exodus series, where we're not necessarily looking at every single verse, uh, you know, verse by verse through a passage, but we are taking out some main themes. And so if you haven't been with us, I just want to take a second to kind of catch you up. The Israelites are God's people, and they are enslaved to the Egyptians. They've been oppressed, and they've been oppressed for a long time. And so, yet still, God's plan keeps going forward, and they multiply, and they thrive. And then God raises up a man named Moses, who is a Hebrew that um, he raises up in the Egyptian palace. And we're going to look at more of how God wants to use him. But last week, we saw that Uh, Moses is not God, and unfortunately, we're not either. Darn it, right? It's kind of this brutal reality that we are not God, because we saw Moses take matters into his own hands and kind of play God, and he killed the Egyptian, and he fleed to Midian, where he found a wife and had a son. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 3 and 4. It's a pretty familiar story, probably, for most of you. But before we just jump right in, you can turn there if you want. Like he said, with the projection and all of that, this would be a great time to just download the YouVersion app, uh, to bring a physical Bible so you can look and follow along in your Bible. So go ahead and turn there. But before we really get started reading, I just wanted to kind of set the stage with where I am in this season of life. Um, Austin and I have been married for almost 11 years. We have three kids, and I have been a dental hygienist for a little over 10 years. And so I'm going to be real with you all this morning. Is that okay? I like cleaning people's teeth. But I don't, it's not this like passion of mine where I just lay my head on the pillow at night and dream and think about all the wonderful ways that I could do it better or whatnot. It's just, it doesn't incite that kind of passion in me. And so uh, probably six months ago, I felt God kind of stirring me to Uh, take a step back from dental hygiene. I wanted to be available here. I wanted to be able to help out, um, maybe take off Austin's load a little bit. I don't know if you guys have realized, but in that six, seven, eight week time in a row preaching, he starts saying things like, Moses was a dude's dude about 12 times in the sermon, (laughs) or Lydia was balling more than all y'all or something like that. So that's how we know that Austin's preached too many times in a row. So that's why I'm here. You're welcome. (laughs) Um... But in, so right now I'm actually working two days a month is all. And I didn't think that I had found my identity in that job, but it's interesting how when you take something like that away or strip it back significantly, there's kind of this reorienting and I just, I've had to adjust a little bit more because it's kind of like, yes, I'm a mom and a wife and those are jobs in and of itself, I suppose, but it's also like, God, what am I producing? What, what am I doing here? And so Austin at the beginning of the series um, said, you know, there's four different 
parts of Exodus, four kind of points, where we go from captivity and to rescue, to wilderness, to covenant. And he asked us to kind of, you know, self-evaluate and see where we are in our lives, maybe according to those four. And as I was self-evaluating, I just thought, you know, I think I am kind of in this wilderness covenant juggle where there are days that I just feel like, God, you are, you're working and you're speaking and this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And then there's other days that I feel like, okay, what am I doing? Where are we going? What, what is happening here? And God, what are you saying? Anybody else ever been in a season like that? Um, and so... I believe that this is actually where Moses is when we pick up the story in Exodus 3. Moses is 80 years old at this point. He's been in in the land of Midian for probably about 40 years. He's watching his father-in-law's sheep. And I don't know, it doesn't sound like a great calling probably where he's like, I don't even have my own flock of sheep. He's gone from this crazy high place in a, in a super uh, just important empire, basically, to having very little to call his own. So Moses is watching his father-in-law's sheep someday, and he comes to a mountain, and God comes, and he speaks to Moses. So we're going to pick up in verse 2. It's a lot of scripture, but it's all good, and so I didn't take anything out. <laughs> just bear with us. Verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the, of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel, Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. This is a huge turning point in Exodus, right? Up until this point, God hadn't been super present on the scene. It, he was a little bit more in the background. And yet here he shows up in this miraculous way, meeting with Moses, <clears throat> excuse me, telling him of his plan to save the Israelites from the Egyptians. And he commissions Moses to participate. As we all probably would, Moses has some questions, right? He has some concerns and cares, but God doesn't answer Moses with what he has to offer or why God picked Moses to be this role. There's no attaboy in there. He takes his attention off of Moses and he puts it on himself. He says, but I will be with you. Moses has more questions. I just imagine he's running through the scenario, right? Okay, I'm going back to Israel. I'm going to talk to the elders. And I know that that guy's there and he's going to want like answers. And so I'm not going to say that some talking kind of burning bush just spoke to me. Like I need more answers. God, who are you? Who should I say that you are? And God in this epic statement says, I am who I am. Tell the Israel, Israelites, I am has sent me to you. This is a monumental moment, both for Moses and the Jewish culture and for us, because God reveals himself as the I am. This is both an introduction and an announcement. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time kind of wrapping my mind around that phrase, I am, right? It's, an, it's a complete sentence, but it feels incomplete. I am amazing. I am so, like, you're just looking for something more. But there has never been anything more complete than I am. Sometimes we kind of have a tainted view of that I am who I am statement as well, especially in today's day and age when we use it, it's probably excusing some sort of bad behavior or habit, right? So I'm an Enneagram nine, so I just let people walk all over me. I am who I am. Or I'm a basic white chick who likes pumpkin spice lattes. So sue me. I am who I am. <laughs> and so we have these kind of ideas framing this phrase. And I want to look at what it actually means. I am who I am. A thousand adjectives or descriptors could not explain who God is more than he is who he is. 
There has never been a more bold claim of self-sufficiency, of absolute being. Unlike how we use it today, it's of absolute perfection. Nothing is more unchangeable. Nothing is more unmatched. Nothing is more foundational than I am who I am. Yahweh, Jehovah. The Israelites had probably heard this word, I am, where we get Jehovah and Yahweh from. But God reveals more about himself here with Moses than maybe he had ever before or even has since. We see that even Jesus uh, talks about this and he refers back to it in, in John 8. He's talking to the Jews and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews absolutely would have known in that moment that he is claiming to be the same God using the same name. And so we can't possibly understand all that it means, but we are going to look at five things that it does mean this morning about how God is describing himself when he says it. And so before we get to those, I just want to say there is no better way that we can spend our morning than trying to understand a little better with our tiny little brains how big and magnificent and awesome our God is. Amen? Okay, so five things I am who I am means. The first thing, God is eternal. He is outside of time. He had no beginning and he will have no end. He is unchanging and in that he is perfect. He does not need to be improved and he cannot be improved. He is forever and eternal. Verse 15 of Exodus 3 says, This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. There are so many verses throughout the rest of the Bible that talk about God's eternity, but maybe the best one is Revelation 1.8. God says of himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so because of who he is, and he is God, his character defines the world that we're living in and um, our reality. I'm going to say that one more time. Because of who he is, and he is God, his character defines our reality and the world that we're living in. So because God is eternal, because he is constant, he defines truth. Truth does not change. It's fixed. There is no my truth or your truth that is independent or contradictory to his truth. Amen. He is the standard and everything else builds on that. We cannot find anything true outside of the I am. Number two, God is transcendent and holy. Transcendent literally means that he is beyond. He is above. And so, yes, he is above it all. He is beyond it all. He is independent from everything. He is completely other than anything we know. He is surpassing greatness and he is completely holy. He only does what is right and good. Verse six says, then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. 
Whenever people are confronted with God's holiness, they become super aware of their unholiness. Sometimes they fall on their face or just hide their face, but these are all just humbling experiences when we're faced with the holiness of God. And so Moses is very aware in that moment that he is not God, that he is below and he is utterly dependent and that he has done wrong. He, again, is the standard. Let's see. I think I lost my spot there. And so he is, because he is transcendent and holy, he defines morality. He defines what is right and what is wrong. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong. We, he is the standard, right? He is the foundation. He doesn't just do justice. He is just. He is the definition of it. And so we don't get to decide what we deserve or what anyone else deserves. He decides, period. Number three, God is imminent. Imminent means he exists within. And so yes, God is transcendent. He's above and beyond all of it, but he's also imminent. He's, he's within, he's close, and he's a part of then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. God knew Moses by name. He knew his story. He saw him when he was in the Nile. He knew every baby lost and all the pain that the Israelites had endured. And he saw when Moses chose to kill the Egyptian. And yet he's choosing to also partner with this confused, lost, imperfect man to rescue his people from captivity. He cares for his creation. He cares for you and for me. Matthew 10, 29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And so because God is imminent, he defines value. He defines what's important. And this is often completely the opposite of what the world tells us is valuable or important. God is so present in the small and in the details, and that shows us about himself in, and his character. He leaves the 99 for the one. He sees the baby being formed in the womb. He cares what's being done with the one talent, not just with the 10 talents. He exalts the humble. This is the kingdom of God. Amen? And so he gets to decide what's valuable, not us. So we look to his character to show us what he values so that we can then defend those things and live our life prioritizing them, what matters to him first. Number four, God is omniscient. That's just a big word that means God knows everything. He's all-knowing. He knows the beginning from the end. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his wisdom, who can fathom? We see this in an interesting way in verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. God knew Pharaoh's heart and he knew what it was going to take for Pharaoh to let God's people go. 
We see in verses later that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and we kind of have a a wrestle with that sometimes. But I love that this comes first. God knew what it was going to take uh, to let his people go. And I also love that God in his kindness um, had Moses tell Pharaoh to just, can we just go out to the wilderness for three days to sacrifice to our God? He starts with a very um, compliant, like it would be easy to comply, but he knew that Pharaoh wasn't going to do that. He knows everything. And so because God is all-knowing, because he's omniscient, he defines the plan. You may think that you know how that relationship should have gone or that you should have gotten that job or like, God, if you would have just intervened in the way that I asked you to, I would have been happier or I know that person would have been saved by now or things just would have been better. But God ultimately in his infinite wisdom gets to pick his will and his plan. The last one is God is omnipotent. He is all powerful. He has complete control over all creation. Nothing is too hard for him. There is no limit to the wonders of his power. Genesis and the creation narrative couldn't show God's power more clearly when he just speaks and skies are formed and animals are made and systems are born. And we see this in this story just in a small snippet with the burning bush that isn't actually burning, right? It's kind of a conundrum. Only God could do that. And it's even more exciting because as we come up on the rest of Exodus, we're going to see some amazing displays of God's power, maybe more than man has ever seen. And this I am who I am is a foreshadowing of that. And so because God is omnipotent, he is creator and all-powerful. He defines who we are and what we can do. God said in the garden when he made us, it is very good. Everything else he said was good, but when he made man, he said it was very good. And that was before sin had entered into the world. And now because of another amazing display of God's power through Jesus, the same I am, He conquered death and sin on the cross. And now if we're in him, we get to be called very good. Again, son and daughter, beloved. And so you may think that your job defines you or your marital status or your upbringing or that thing that happened to you or the thing that you did. But if you strip all that away or you heap on 10 more things, it is him who defines you and what you're capable of. Haven kind of gave us a perfect example this week. Uh, Harper, our nine-year-old, has started playing uh, basketball. And Haven is three. She's very independent, uh, you could say. And, you know, I can watch her try and put her, buckle her shoes for 20 minutes before she will take us up on our invitation to help. And I know that that's great for problem solving skills down the road, but right now it's a little bit of a pain, right? (laughs) Um, But anyways, she just desperately wants to play basketball also. And so she tries to, to make a basket and the ball gets about a quarter of the way up to the hoop, right? It's just not going to happen at this point. But if she takes up Austin on his invitation to help or asks him, 
He can literally lift her up probably seven-eighths of the way there, and she just plops it in, and she's so excited because she made it, right? And that is such a picture of us and God. He defines what we're capable of because his uh, power is limitless. He is capable of anything. And so it didn't matter that Moses had a bad reputation. It didn't matter that he couldn't speak well, as we're about to see. The all-powerful I am would be with him and asked him to speak. It was possible because God can do anything. God is God. He is the foundation of all that we see. We finished our basement this last year, just when everyone else was doing their home projects, right? And um, we added a spare bedroom into our, our basement that honestly, I forget is there most of the time, right? It's got some kids' clothes that I every once in a while go down. And I'm afraid that we're living as if Jesus was the spare bedroom. And he's not the foundation of everything that we see holding everything up. He is the entire house, right? We go to him when we need something. We forget that he's even there sometimes, but we are nothing without him. We have to keep that on the forefront of our minds. And so where does that leave us? What is our role? God is, and so he defines, I think in chapter four, we'll see, we choose. Go ahead and turn to chapter four. We're going to see how Moses chooses to respond to God. I'm just going to summarize that first section just for the sake of time. Moses, uh, well, God gives Moses some amazing signs to take to Pharaoh and to the Israelites so that they know that it's legit, right? And so he takes his staff and God says to throw it on the ground and he, he does and it turns into a serpent. And then he picks it back up and it turns into a snake again or into a staff. And then God says to put your hand in your pocket. And so he puts his hand in his cloak and he takes it out and it's white as snow. It's completely leprous, which is uh, an extremely contagious disease that would have been a death sentence. And then he puts it in and takes it out and it's completely restored. And in that, God is showing Moses that I have power over other gods, including Pharaoh, represents the serpent, and I have power over disease. And so we'll pick up in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? What makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will make your mouth, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you both should do. Moses is pretty insecure at this point. He's seen these amazing signs that God has, and yet he's still just so hung up on the fact that he can't speak well. But I love that the whole time God doesn't answer to his insecurity. He answers him with, I will be with you. 
I am who I am. I made your mouth. I will be with you. And so it's easy for us to be kind of hard on Moses as we know how the story ends. But how often do we do the same thing where we get so absorbed in ourselves and preoccupied and we take our eyes off of him? We look to our own strengths and our weaknesses when determining if we can follow God in a task rather than looking to the one who has called us to it. About six months ago or so, I had just had a really off day at work. I was headed to youth group. I was at youth group and um, I was feeling guilty for being at youth group because I hadn't connected with my own kids. And it was just one of those days I felt like I was failing at everything, <laughs> right? And um, so we clo- I closed my eyes and we were getting ready to start worship. And I just saw this picture of the word insufficient and it was in bold, <laughs> And honestly, I just lost it. I started bawling. All I felt bad. All of the students and leaders, they're like, what's going on with Katie? Like something's happening there. But it was exactly, I, I didn't realize it was exactly how I was feeling. God just put a word to it. And so we were supposed to be doing ministry with the students. And if you have a high schooler, way to go. They were all so sweet. And they ended up coming and asking if they could pray for me, even though I was supposed to be praying for them. And just in in those prayers, it was, like I said, so sweet and just tender. They were saying things like, God, help her know that she's enough and that she can do anything. And all the while I'm hearing God say like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, no, you're not. (laughs) And it's not that God was being harsh or mean, but he was saying exactly what I was. And that was insufficient. I am incapable of doing anything without him, let alone doing everything. And so I didn't walk away feeling discouraged and like really beat down. I actually felt encouraged and lighter because that was where my focus should be was off of myself. I can't do it. Your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made strong in my weakness. And so the answer to our insecurities is always a greater understanding of who he is, not of who we are or how gifted we are or not gifted. When we focus on the transcendent, holy, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God, we can see that he determines what we do and what we can do, not ourselves. Sometimes I think it feels super inefficient for God to use us at all, right? He could just do it on his own perfectly, and there would be no variables. Like, he could just do exactly how he wants to. But him and his kindness and his patience brings us along and builds our trust in him and our character, and then we get to participate in him accomplishing his will. And so for whatever reason, he's chosen you. And he's chosen me to carry out this will, to do a good work. Um, The call is different for all of us. Some of us, it's to equip the saints. Some of it's to share the gospel with an entire workplace or adopt children or homeschool your children or whatever it might be. You are called to a good work. And so we have the choice then to say like Moses, here I am send someone else, (laughs) please know, 
I don't want to. Like that, that's real. We don't, sometimes we just don't want to. Um, and God, God sent Aaron with Moses, but that wasn't God's first call for, for Aaron. I just wonder what it would have been like if Moses had just stopped and said, here I am, almighty God, the great I am, send me, just like Isaiah was going to say. Or like Mary said, uh, let it be done unto me according to your word. I am your servant. And so you might be saying, God, just send someone else on whatever it is, whatever's in front of you right now. But I want to encourage you with this. Following God in your giftings, where you're comfortable, is glorifying to God and it's super fulfilling. But following God in your weaknesses is special and it's fruit producing and it's even more glorifying to God. That's our goal, right? We just want to bring him glory. And so we get to take our eyes off of ourselves and focus on him and his magnificence and surpassing greatness in every way and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Would you stand? We're going to pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are God and that we are not. Um, thank you that you promise to be with us wherever, that you, wherever you call us. Would you just remind us all today, God, that um, we can do nothing apart from you. You are good. You are holy. You are all of those things. We are nothing without you. Would you just expand our understanding and, and create more awe and wonder in who you are? That is what we need more of. And so God, I pray that for anyone who is just carrying more than they should or um, has brought on more than you have for them, Lord, would you just help them offload that to you? because you are capable of anything. You are limitless. We love you, Lord, and we just pray for each person here, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them this week. Be with us, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. 